Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Today's episode is with Tim Bonton. Great name. He's the national basketball writer for the Washington Post. He's been covering the playoffs arduously throughout. Uh, every time I try to buzz Tim, uh, he seems to be MIA. He and I are both in the League of Leagues together. I'm like, let's make a trade. He's like, uh, can't talk. LeBron doing crazy things. So, uh, rather than chase him down for trades in our crazy fantasy league, I figured I would just call him up and do a podcast with him and talk about NBA. Uh, we get into LeBron and, uh, yeah, we do the LeBron MJ thing because you have to, I think at this point, we just, you, you can't get around it anymore. That I'm not a hot take guy and, well, everything has to be legacy or whatever, but gee, I mean, what he did in game six and game seven against the Celtics, on top of everything that he's done for what, a decade and a half now, it's just, it's incredible. This guy does things that we don't even care anymore. Like, oh yeah, 45 in an elimination game, no big. He's something else. Uh, talk about the Cavs, the Warriors. There's some Rockets talk. There's some Celtics talk. It's good. It's good basketball conversation, topical, all that good stuff. Tim's uh, very, very good at what he does, and I think you will dig this, especially if you're a Hoops fan. Uh, let us discuss the first of this week's sponsor, friends, and it is a new sponsor. That's Omaha Steaks. Yes, Omaha Steaks. Father's Day right around the corner. Great gift, great idea if you're cooking, if you're a fan of cooking, is to give Dad the gift of Omaha Steaks. Listen. I've tried the good, it's good stuff. Steaks, chops, franks, meatballs, fries, desserts, all that great stuff. It is terrific and you will dig Omaha Steaks. Well worth it. Promo code. Let's get into a promo code from Omaha Steaks since we love these guys. You go to omahasteaks.com. You type in Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, in the search bar. And the discounted package will appear and they can click on that. You can click on that and get all kinds of great discounts and get this. Here are some of the menu items that we are talking about now. It's two tender filet mignons, two beefy top sirloins, two chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steaks seasoning packet, plus you'll get four more grill-ready Omaha steaks burgers free with purchase. That's if you get going with Omaha steaks. Yes, it's omahasteaks.com for all your great grilling needs. That's omahasteaks.com. Thank you to Omaha Steaks for sponsoring the podcast. Some programming notes. We got CBS Sports, uh, lots of recent writing. I just wrote about the Phillies. So check that out. Uh, that's a compliment to kind of the recent Braves column. I'm going to have to write about the Brewers at some point. Man, are they playing great baseball. They're a fun team to watch as well. Lots of, uh, upstarts this season, which is very enjoyable. Uh, you can also check me out at CBS Sports HQ. Just go to cbssports.com and you will see my smiling face in front of my redesigned set. That is an Alice Ballantyne bobblehead behind my head. Your eyes do not deceive you. And, uh, so check that out. Uh, all the fine producers do great work at CBS Sports HQ and it's great. It's around the clock news and analysis, which you will like a lot, I believe. Uh, and also sportsnet.ca. Check out my weekly columns over there as well as TV hits and good stuff like that. Hey, we got another sponsor this week. Would you believe that it's SeatGeek? Of course you would because if you're a listener of the Joe McCary podcast ever, you know that SeatGeek is awesome. I've been talking about them for years. They're terrific. It's the best place to buy or sell tickets to any sporting event that you could possibly want. They are fantastic. Color-coded map makes it really easy to use. You want to know where to sit? Well, no problem. You could always figure that out. You have got your behind the plate. Maybe it's upper deck. Maybe it's third base side. What have you. 
it makes it really easy when you could just look at the map and see the big dot and be able to figure it all out. So do that. Get with SeatGeek as soon as possible. And hey, some uh, promo codes for SeatGeek as well. Download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code Jonah today, and you'll get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. And also, let's say you've already used SeatGeek. Not a problem. You want to get baseball tickets? Special offer for all MLB purchasers, not just first-timers. Use promo code CARRY, that's K-E-R-I, for $10 off MLB tickets. That's promo code CARRY for $10 off MLB tickets. Or just go ahead and use promo code JONAH for $20 off of any first-time purchase. Thank you to SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast. And here is the next edition of the Jonah Carey Podcast. It is with Tim Bolton. Enjoy. So we've got him in the airport waiting for a plane. This is the life of an NBA beat writer this time of year. Tim Bonton, by the way, the best last name ever. How are you? <laughs> Doing well, John. I've listened to the Joe Carey podcast for a very long time, so it's pretty cool to be a guest. Well, so excited to be here. Uh, it's pretty cool to have you as a guest because I've enjoyed your work for a very long time. You're one of the best in the biz. I really enjoy your NBA writing. And uh, really, really cool. This is your first? First go round as the Washington Post national writer doing and on the playoff tour, right? This is the first year. Do I have that right? No, it's uh, third, third third year through the uh, third year. Yeah, it's my third year through the, the uh, through the playoffs at the Post. First year was uh, the 2016 playoffs, which I don't think will ever quite be topped. Oh my god! Then, yeah. uh, then last year snooze fest with the Warriors, and now. Uh, this year got Warriors Cavs again, but not not quite in the uh, the same man, uh, same fashion that I think everybody expected it would be. Well, and we got to start, I think, with the Cavs because not even the Cavs. Let's just talk about LeBron. What are we doing talking about J.R. Smith? Let's get to it. <laughs> uh, I it's funny because this industry has a tendency. To, yeah, people jump up and down legacy, and I'm going to argue louder, and you're going to argue louder. It's the greatest sure. game. No, it's his fifth greatest game or whatever. But this is the one time that I'm willing to abide by those discussions because it really did feel like we were watching something. It's like, oh, holy shit. Like, what did he just do? His whole team, his teammates are hurt. You know, the Celtics were resilient. They're younger. They're this or that. Brad Stevens is a genius. Tatum's dunking on him. And yeah, I committed eight turnovers and also just like stomped on their hearts. I mean, it was incredible. So, first, I'm interested in your react to the game in general, and then, yeah, I do think we have to try to put it in context a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I wrote after, I was at Pacers, Cavs, Game 7, I flew out to Cleveland in case it was the end of LeBron, and when LeBron, in Cleveland, and when LeBron went to the locker room that game with Kranz, which everybody has probably forgotten by now, but... You know, if he goes to the locker room with Cranch, and the, the Cavs, I think, were down one at the time. It was with a minute left, a couple of minutes left in the third quarter. And sitting there, you were kind of like, wow, is this the end? Is this how it's going to end with LeBron, like, cramping up and dehydrated and not able to, to, to play in this game? Like, is this really the way this is going to close out for him in, 
in Cleveland. And then, you know, miraculously, the other guys on the team kind of hold the fort till he's able to come back in and they, they finish that game out. And after that game, I wrote that LeBron getting this team to the finals would be, you know, arguably his greatest accomplishment yet um, because of how disjointed this entire Cleveland season has been from training Kyrie Irving to the guys who traded him for, Jake Crowder and Isaiah Thomas getting shipped out of town. Uh, to the whole roster getting turned over at the trade deadline, yeah. uh, you know, just all of the trials and tribulations. Ty- Tyron Lue, the team's coach, missing time with health issues of his own. I mean, it's been a, uh, you know, I, I think LeBron said the other night the finals would be the start of the sixth season and one for the Cavs. And, I mean, it really it really feels that way. And, I mean, to watch him in that game seven, um, you know, I, I knew the Cavs were going to win that game at halftime because the, the Celtics should have been up by – 10 or 15 points in that game. And, you know, they had chances in the first half to really put their their foot on Cleveland's throat, really get some separation. And they, much like the Rockets the next night, they couldn't do it. And when that was a four-point game at halftime, you knew that LeBron was going to find a way to win that game. As that game continued to carry on, and it was a, you know, one- or two-point game, you just never had any doubt, or at least I never had any doubt, that LeBron wasn't going to find a way to win that game in the end. Um, he, he's just done this too many times now, and it it really is funny when you think when you think back to you know his failures with in, in the the Mavs series in the NBA Finals in 2011. When you think back to some of the criticisms of LeBron early in his career for not being willing or able to make uh, clutch shots at the end of games. I mean, now it's gotten to the point where when the Cavs are in a close game in the playoffs in the final minutes. Like, you just assume that LeBron is going to find a way to win the game. And it's a pretty stunning turnaround from where he was a few years ago to where he's now, where he's just, you know, destroying these teams in the last minutes of games over and over and over again in the playoffs. And, I mean, look, I I talked to Steve Kerr um, at the start of the Rockets, Rockets Warriors series. We are having a conversation uh, privately, and, you know, he, he kind of made his case for why he thought the Celtics were going to win that series. And I said, listen – you know, I, I'm just going to bet on LeBron, and I think LeBron's going to win. And at the end of the, you know, before game seven the other night, I saw him for a minute, and he just kind of laughed and said, you know, I told you after I said the Celtics would win, uh, at the same, you know, he even said to me, he goes, I remember I said to you at the same time, I could come back to you in 10 days with my head in my hands and say, I shouldn't have bet against LeBron. And I told him, I said, you know, no offense to your former teammate, but I think that, this guy is the best player I've ever seen and the game has ever seen. He said, no offense taken. And, uh, I mean, it's just LeBron at this point has left pretty much the entire league just in awe of what he's doing. And, you know, do I think that Golden State has a – they have much of a chance to beat Golden State at all? No. Uh, but I don't think anybody expected that even at the start of the season. For LeBron to kind of carry this carcass of a team through the season with everything that's happened and get back to this point the way he has – I mean, I, I stand by what I wrote a few weeks ago. I really do think it is one of the great accomplishments and obviously one of the greatest careers we've ever seen. Well, yeah, and you talk about that effort, and it, we're going to get to the, you talk about his career, one of the greatest careers. Yes, we're going to have that debate in a minute, but <laughs> of course we are. But I want to get to this notion of best player versus best team because in the past that was always the kind of truism of the NBA was, you know what, if you have one guy, he's going to win it for you. And right. we are now, it's not ISO ball anymore. Houston's the one ISO team and it feels like they're the weirdos, like everybody else is pace and space and what have you. 
you know, maybe right. the argument with Golden State is that Golden State might not have the best player, but they have like one A, one B, one C, and one D, so that's going to be right. good enough. Whereas the Celtics, right. not quite, especially now with Kyrie and, and Hayward out. But you know, it is the case that the Cavs uh, did win it a couple of years ago. Of course, Kyrie was huge and so forth. But I'm wondering how that stands. Like, I mean, is this? Are we really at an era where it is harder? It feels like this is more. I, I'm trying to ask. It almost feels like this is more of an accomplishment now that the, we are so team-oriented that you really have this throwback kind of performance where there's no love. You know, uh, other guys aren't necessarily getting it. I mean, it really was almost a one-man show. It, it's just it reminds me of, like, like Bird or whatever in 86. It was that kind of performance. It felt very throwback to me in a way that I haven't seen in quite a while. Despite LeBron obviously being great for a long time, it feels like he's just like, I have nobody. I'm going to win this game by myself. I think it feels like a throwback performance because when you are comparing LeBron James to people, those are the only people you can compare to, yeah. right? Whether it's Magic Johnson or Mike or Larry Bird or Michael Jordan or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Russell or Will Chamberlain. I mean, these are, yeah. you know, these are these are the only people that you can realistically compare him to because everybody from the last twenty-five years, he's, I mean, he's blown by all of them. I yeah. mean, there's really not even a uh, a comparison anymore. You know, I, that the funny. The, probably the funniest thing I've seen in a while is this Kobe Bryant tweet the other day where Kobe, you know, tries to insert himself, you know, pretty, you know, pretty plainly into this LeBron Jordan debate. It's like, oh yeah, you can, you know, you can't argue, you know, who's better and you, you know, look at, you know, enjoy my rings and Jordan's rings and well, no, Kobe, you're actually not even in the same, you know, universe as these guys. And that's not a, a disrespect to Kobe. So. We're going to have the LeBron versus MJ debate, which we all thought would be unthinkable. And I'm not doing it to be a hot take artist or whatever, because I really think it's an interesting debate. And right. I'm not, a, I'm not a count the rings guy. I mean, I understand the six versus five versus three or whatever, but I'm not doing that because, right. I, frankly, I don't think the Jordan had competition with the level of the Warriors. I think that's a, not a very controversial statement. Um, right. But before we even get to the apples and apples, how do we do this? Right. Like, you know, Baseball is even more complicated. Think about like Barry Bonds versus Babe Ruth. It's not just that Babe Ruth played in a sport where wasn't integrated. There was no scouting. Like you could have been right. the starting second baseman for Boston or whatever. It's like, oh, right. you're loitering across the street. Come on over. Okay, right, Jordan right. was playing in a proper era. We had Sonny Vaccaro. We had Duke. We had whatever. It was real basketball. Sure. That's all fine. Sure. sure. But the game has certainly changed. Playing one on one, I don't know how that would work. LeBron has like seventy pounds on Jordan, so I don't even know. How you do this magical experiment? What what would you suggest? You just say, okay, let's compare them to the rest of their era. Would you try to envision them in a game of one on one? How do we? How do we? Did you can you use raw stats? I mean, how does this work? Well, I mean, that's kind of the tricky part, right? I mean, the the, the fun part about rankings is that they're subjective, and you can kind of line them up in any way you want and and make your own argument. Um, you know, it's kind of like. You know, it's it's kind of like the old the the thing with you know the the old thing with statistics, where you can use statistics in any way you want to make yes. an argument that's persuasive in your favor, depending on what you're trying to argue. Um, so when you when you look at this, I mean, to me, it's it, it is it is a complicated equation to figure out like what the specific angle is to say, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to use this metric or not. When I did I did a top 40 ranking of the the best 40 players since the merger, the ABA NBA merger. Uh, last year and I had LeBron second to Jordan. Um, 
But I mean, at this point, I, I think you just have to kind of, I, I guess it, it's really just kind of a subjective thing, which is why I don't really think there's a right answer. And, yeah. you know, I, I think it's more of just, you know, I, I think at this point, LeBron is the best player ever. And my argument for him would be that his just never ceasing consistency of dominance for 15 years is really pretty much unrivaled in the history of the league. You can go back to like somebody like Kareem and say he did this for 20 years. But when you, you look at the era that we're now playing in, you go back and watch film of like, if you watch on like hardwood classics, like a game in the 1980s, like, Guys were not really playing very hard on defense. No. I mean, it was just, it was just a totally different style. And so now you're talking about, you know, playing 100 games a year over and over and over again. Um, you know, just all the miles on his body, all of the, the, you know, the, the shots he takes, the physicality he has to play with. Um, I mean, like the, the play that defines LeBron to me is that, that and one almost flagrant foul he had. Uh, when Marcus Morris horse collared him the other night yeah. and he still scored anyway, like that, the, like any other player in the league gets fouled like that and he's like thrown to the ground and he's laying there for two minutes. And LeBron like takes a 250 pound guy and basically carries him up in the air with him to the basket, you know, two minutes to go in a, uh, a game he played every second of and, and made it. Um, and, and I think the other thing, which is a very subjective thing that I think it, to me tips the scales in LeBron's favor is the fact that I mean, this really has nothing to do with his career at all. It's the fact that for close to 20 years now, he has been in the center of the public spotlight in a way that I don't think any other athlete ever has been. You go back to when he was on the, the cover of SI, I think when he was a sophomore in high school or a freshman yeah. in high school. Like from that moment on, he was seen as, okay, this guy is going to be the best player in the league. And not only is he like eclipsed, he, not only has he reached every benchmark that's been set for him, he's, a, he's eclipsed all of them. And throughout the entire time, the only misstep you can argue that he's had was the decision, which donated like $5 million to the Boys and Girls Club. And like, that's the one thing you could point to and say, yeah, that was probably, that might not have been the best move. Um, so I, I mean, I know that's a very subjective answer. And I know the Jordan people will come back and say, well, Jordan was six and zero in the finals and, uh, you know, was an unbelievable player. And he was, but I, I just think LeBron's entire body of work to me. Uh, whether he was better than Jordan or not, I, I feel pretty confident in saying I'm never going to see another player that is like him again from a size and skill standpoint and from, frankly, an attention standpoint. Because I, I just I, I don't think he gets enough credit for holding up the way he has under the insane amount of scrutiny that he's undergone over the past, you know, 15 years or more even um, and, and really gone through it with, you know, pretty much, you know, spot a spotless record where he doesn't have any. You know, no personal scandals to his name. He's got, you know, seems like a really good dad to his, to his kids. Yep. He's at their games, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, I, I just think the entire package is just, it's just a truly remarkable, uh, story that I, I just, I just don't think we're ever going to see this package again or even anything close to it. I was, um, having dinner the other night and, uh, I just went to the restroom for a second. I come back and the wait staff is kind of gathered around the bar and they're watching game and uh you know guys like going on about the celtics i'm like are you a celtics fan and it was not in boston right and he said no i said so what well, you know what you're rooting pretty hard he goes yeah i hate lebron i go well why <laughs> and you know what he said he goes i'm bored of him already like he's so good it's just like all right it's enough with lebron dunking well, on everybody doing incredible well things that that is the incredible thing yeah that is the incredible thing this guy 
this guy in game six had 45, eight and seven. That's sick. And Crazy. nobody, and nobody, and nobody, everyone was like, yeah, that's normal. Like this is, no, this is normal. what's expected. Game, game seven, he has 35, 15 and nine, shoots 50% from the floor, plays every second of the game, wins a game seven on the road. Yeah. And nobody's surprised. Mm. Nobody. Like there's not even a, there's not even a, oh yeah, like that was a great game. It's like, no, like there's just no, <laughs> there's not even a thought about it. Um, it, it's like, this is what I, yeah, this is what LeBron is supposed to do. Why are you even, why is anyone surprised? That to me, like, that's where, like, over the last year or so, that's where my opinion on this has just fully gone the other way. It's like this guy at this point, like, he just, like, look, they're, like I said, I don't think they can beat Golden State because they simply, like, Golden State has maybe the greatest team of all time yes. from a talent standpoint. Yes. Like, that's, that's a, that's a bridge for really too far for anyone, even him. But when you look at, like, just, just the, the routineness with which he is putting up just stat lines that would be the single greatest game of the career of virtually every player in the league, even the great players. Yes. I mean, to have, to have 35, 15, to have 40, 45, 8 and 7 in game six down one in a series, that's the defining game of a career of virtually any player in the history of basketball. For sure. And LeBron has done that multiple times. And then he came back two days later on the road and had, 35, 15, and 9 to win a game uh, on the road in Boston Garden against a, a young, hungry Celtics team that hadn't lost a game at home in the playoffs. Like, and, and, and again, nobody was surprised. Not one person. I mean, it's it's just, you know, and I, and I, I get why people are bored. I get why people are bored of, of Warriors-Cavs uh, because it's the fourth time in a row and people want to see something else. But I'll tell you why. As somebody who is a sports fan and a basketball fan, um, I just – appreciate every chance I get to watch this guy play because I know I'm in a, uh, a you know, a, a special place to have a job that allows me to get a chance to see this guy up close like this on the game's biggest stage. And like I said, I'm never going to see a guy like this again. So I, I just take every opportunity I can to watch him play. And, you know, I was happy that the Cavs won because it's another chance to watch this guy play in the finals and do stuff that I'm not going to see anybody else do. And I, you know, I just think it's, uh, it's just, it's just insane the, the level of accomplishment that this guy has to the point where he's having these historic performances and nobody's batting an eye because they just expect him to do that. And it's a surprise if he doesn't. It's pretty incredible. No question about it. It's, it feels like we're spoiled at this point. Uh, I want to get to the Warriors too. Lots of great pieces written about the Warriors. There's one, uh, might have been Pelton, you know, it was one of those guys. I was just talking about what happens when the when the Warriors get on a run, and I know you've written similar things, by the way. Um, but it's just like it's 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 incredible because you sort of know it's coming. The same way you know that LeBron is coming, you know that there are just going to be four or five threes in a row, and you know that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's fifteen points. So you're down by five, and all of a sudden it's a blow going the other way, and that's the end of the game. And it happened, you know, and and. I'm sitting here and trying to dissect that game seven and saying, because the, the Rockets are like, well, the Warriors got lucky and we could have had Chris Paul and whatever. I'm not even sure about the Chris Paul thing. They missed 27 threes in a row. That's <laughs> never happened before. If Correct. they make five of 27, they probably win that game. So Correct. The Warriors are great. There's no question about it. But did they get lucky? Because maybe they did a little bit. No, they absolutely got lucky. They they did not deserve to win that series and they, they were unquestionably the better team and losing, uh, losing Andre Godala hurt them a lot. 
Uh, you could see in that series, they didn't have a fifth guy who could play with them. And even when at the highest level, even if you have four all-stars, if you have a fifth guy, that's a disaster. I mean, it, it can really hurt you in a basketball game. Right. Uh, but the, the Warriors have had a very, very strange season. Hmm. Um, they have been, frankly, a pretty boring, uninspiring team to watch, despite how good they are. Um, they, they have not looked interested really at any point all season. Uh, they, I think they would admittedly say they played at about 70% all season. Uh, they had probably the most uninspiring 58 win season in the history of the sport. <laughs> um, like they just, they just never looked interested at any point. And that included the series. Hmm. I mean, look, they come out in game six and game seven down in the series, uh, down in the series in game six at home on the road in game seven. And they, they put up complete clunkers in the first halves of both of those games. Yeah. And yes, you're right. Like they, Steph Curry in the third quarter is a phenomenon that really can't be explained by even people within the Warriors. I mean, this season, Golden State, I believe was plus 500 in the third quarter in a plus minus standpoint. They outscored their opponents by 500 points mm-hmm. in the first quarter with basically the same rotations. They were outscored by, I think, five. Wow. So weird. So it doesn't really, I mean, Steph Curry comes out in the third quarter and goes nuclear, but no one can really explain why. Um, and like, they've always been a great third quarter team. It's just in the past, they were also good basically in every quarter. Right. Uh, and this year they were like pretty good in the first, pretty good in the fourth and like getting outscored in the first, but in the third quarter, they were so much better, but they would usually win. And it, it's just been a strange season. And, and, and yesterday, um, yesterday made for a very strange game because look, like you said, the Rockets, not only do the Rockets miss 27 straight threes, they missed 29 of their final 30 threes in the game. I mean, if they, if they had just shot 11 for 44 from three. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think they would have won the game. Or at least it would have been a one point game in the final couple minutes. And who knows what happens then? Like the Warriors could easily have gotten tight. They haven't been a good clutch team. Uh, and, and Houston could have pulled it out. They could have got something fluky to go their way. Um, but it was unbelievable being in the arena watching that game because like all the shots they were getting were open. It's not like they were getting. Yeah, there are only a few contests. But Gordon and Gordon and Reese in particular had wide open oh looks, my God. and they couldn't and hit Trevor, him. Trevor, Trevor, uh, Trevor Reese was zero for nine, and Oy. none of the shots were contested. Oy. Yeah, like, from three. Yeah. And I mean, Eric Gordon, one of the for a great shooter, he has some of the worst misses in the league. He had a couple misses last night. Hit that the were, backboard like, over, right? Hitting the backboard from the left wing on the right side of the backboard, just like weird. It, it was it was wild to watch. Like mm. it was it was inexplicable. And I, look, those guys got worn out and not, not having Chris Paul hurt and not having yeah. Franco Lucaba Mute really hurt. Um, if they'd had both those guys healthy the whole series, it might have been a different story. They probably should have won the game anyway. Um, but you know, to your point, uh, Golden State is so good, even though they've had such a weird season that all they needed, even though they didn't play well in game seven was to get an opportunity to, you know, bust through the door and, when the Rockets came out in the second half, it started missing shots and Golden State started creeping closer. You know, me and the people on press row were just saying, look, if the Warriors get ahead, this game is over. Oh yeah. And it's just a matter of if the Rockets can stave them off and maybe they start hitting a couple shots, they stay ahead. They couldn't do that. And the second they got ahead, when Steph hit those back to back threes and went from 61, 58 Houston, 64, uh, 61 Warriors, the game was over. Yeah. And right that, like from there on, they just took off and Houston, you could see. Like they were exhausted and their legs just went out from them and they said, ah, you know, we had, we had our shot and we blew it. And, and you knew, like everybody in the arena knew it. And I feel bad for Houston because they deserve to win that series. They, they played their tails off. They had a great scheme. They got the Warriors out of their game. 
Uh, Golden State, you know, their hubris all season about things were, you know, just insisting things were always going to be fine. Um, it felt like it just, they deserved to have it catch up with them at some point. Um, and it's probably not going to because this <laughs> Houston was the best team in the league. And I think that was the one real challenge they were going to have. Um, but, you know, it, it was it was a remarkable effort from a championship experience team in the second half. And um, it's like somebody said last night, you know, Houston is, you know, you go back to the 90s. And you look at the Knicks and you look at the Jazz and you look at the Suns with Charles Barkley and you go back to these teams that were great, great teams that went up against a great, great team with an all-time great player or all-time great players and they just didn't quite get over the hump, right? Like they they, they just got out-executed by a legendary player in the last, you know, 12 minutes of the deciding game and that was it. Yeah. And you look at Steph Curry and Kevin Durant in the second half of that game last night, and those are two of the 25 best players of all time. And they did stuff that players of that caliber do in games that count and won the game, even though they shouldn't have. And, you know, at the end of the day, for all of the fancy analysis, people like me and you in sports like to, uh, to use in situations like that, at the end of the day, you know, individual greatness is the most important factor in deciding who's going to win or lose games. And, you know, in basketball in particular, one one or two players will determine the game most of the time. That's why I've spent so much time talking about LeBron. And for all the reasons that Golden State shouldn't have won that game last night, the fact that they had, you know, the two best players on the court was the reason why they won the game. It's funny, too, because it feels like the Rockets, it's such an interesting dilemma for them. And I think that part of the analysis era is now we, you know, if you're a kid growing up in the suburbs, you might identify with Daryl Morey as much as you do with LeBron. You're just like, oh, I oh, could, 100%. I, I'm not going to dunk 100%. on someone, but I could do that maybe, you know, and kids go to Yale. That goes and then back they try to, to fantasy sports too. It's, all that kind of stuff. It totally does. And, and of course I'm not a fantasy nut. I read Bill James. <laughs> I make my living doing all this stuff. Of course. And you can't help but think about what the Rockets are going to do now because it's like, okay, they were the best team in the league. Yeah. Morey, first of all, forget. Paul, Maury spent his entire career chasing a, a, a unicorn, which was to find one star player, traded, made this trade, made this trade, and got 30 cents on the quarter and 30 cents. On, and then suddenly James Harden lands in his lap. And then things start happening, and Capella comes through and becomes a great player. They get Chris right. frickin' Paul. I mean, like, all the pieces fall into place. They got Tucker. They got Mute, They got offense. Right. They got defense. They got this. Ryan Anderson, who was supposed to be the big sign, they could swallow $20 million for a guy who wasn't even effective, and it didn't matter <laughs> because it was such a well-built team. Right. What do you do now that Paul's a free agent? You've got a Capella contract issue. Art Anderson, who seems like a lovely guy, but he's untradeable in, a, in an albatross. Can they can they run this back, or was this it for them? Well, they're in a weird spot, Jonah, because they they have a lot of guys who are older. Trevor Reese is a free agent. Yeah. He's going to be thirty three in a month. Uh, Chris Paul's thirty three. Uh, PJ Tucker's thirty three, and Bob Mute's thirty two. He's a free agent. Um, you mentioned Capella's going to be a restricted free agent. He's going to get max offers. Um, but I do think they're close. Uh, I, I mean, they clearly showed in this series that they're close. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the biggest thing they need to do, like, I think they're probably going to run everything back. They're going to try to get LeBron. I don't think LeBron's going to Houston. So setting that aside, I think they're going to run it back. They'll re-sign Ariza. They'll get Paul re-signed. Um, I think they'll bring back and Bob Mute. And then, because his injury really hurt them because they went from playing eight guys to playing seven guys. And they, you could see yeah. they really ran out of gas. So to me, what they need to do is bring this group back. You know, Capella's going to get better. Uh, the rest of their guys should be able to stay at the same level. And I, I think they need to use some middle-level exception to get one more guy. Because um, if they can get another 3-and-D guy, whether it's a Danny Green or an Avery Bradley or a Contavious yeah. Caldwell-Pope, some guy like that um, to deepen out that rotation a little bit, 
and have them be a solid nine man unit going into the playoffs. That to me would really be a game changer for them because, you know, they had Trevor Ariza and Eric Gordon and, and, uh, Tucker, all these guys playing 42, 43 minutes, the same minutes as Golden State stars. And like, I, I, I sympathize with D'Antoni saying, look, my, our guys are playing the same number of minutes as their guys, but you don't want role players like that playing no. the same number of minutes as the stars on the other team. You, you want them playing 35 minutes. And if all those guys are playing 34 to 36 minutes instead of 42 to 44 minutes, uh, over the course of the series, that's going to add up. And when you get to a game seven, their legs aren't going to be totally gassed and they are going to be able to get up shots and, um, and, and put a game like that away. So I, I think they are close. I think they should run it back. Um, Chris Paul, a five year deal for Chris Paul, if that's what they have to do, is going to look really bad by the end of it. But, you know, they're on the cusp of winning a championship. And this is, this is the kind of position you put yourself in where you, you swing for the fences when you have a shot and they have a shot. And, you know, I, Daryl Morey is one of the most creative GMs in the league. I'm sure he's going to come up with some interesting scenarios for stuff. I'm sure they'll try to move a guy like Ryan Anderson or, or do something with him. But hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, you know, they just need to add on the edges and, and try to keep building this thing forward. And, and they're going to give themselves a shot. And I, I hope they do because they, they got a fun team and, and they're, they're going to be in the mix for the next couple of years if they can keep this group together. And we'll touch on the other final four team too, just because it's, Wow, how'd they get here? They lost half their roster. The Celtics really did a great job. And it's an interesting contrast. Maury, of course, coming from Celtics land and, and worked in that environment before going around Houston and taking over. And, right. you know, you're going at it two different ways, both informed a lot by analytics, of course. But the Celtics are trying to build a sustainable winner, right? That they had three stars. You know, you could argue that Horford, Hayward, and Irving are stars, and they were there. Right. But right. Ainge didn't throw all his chips in the middle of the table the way that Maury did to some extent. It's an older roster because the thought in sports to some extent is the quote-unquote go-for-it move, which is we're going to go for it, we're going to get named players, and we're going to try. And right. then you get to the postseason, and you see guys like Tatum and Brown Duncan on dues, and you're like, well, of course, because they have fresh legs. Da, da, da. Well, it <laughs> right. can't. both of those things can't be true at the same time. <laughs> right. But, right. you know, the, the, the magic of the Celtics is that they have fresh legs, but Tatum is also just as good as everybody except maybe 25 other players in the league, too. And he's a, right. he's a rookie. So it's an amazing thing. I hope that, you know, as much as I hope that the Rockets get credit for their season and they came short, whatever, the Celtics, like, wow, what did they do this season? How did this even happen that you're leaning on two 20-year-olds and doing – obviously, Horford was unbelievable, but – Gee, they didn't push all their chips into the middle table. Yeah, they didn't win, but who the hell cares? They're set for years to come. 2019, they have another high pick coming up. If they re-sign Kyrie, which is an interesting decision in its own right, right. wow, I mean, this could be a sustainable team for years and years to come without a LeBron on the roster. Right, and listen, we have to remember, they got very lucky in that they, they got the Brooklyn Nets to give them a treasure trove of yes. unprotected first-round picks. Broke off, nice job. Well, well, right, <laughs> which I was covering the Nets at the time. And, oh, yeah, of uh, course. Know, the expectation was Prokhorov was just going to keep spending money. And then, uh, Jason Kidd bolted, you know, pulled a coup and left. And the, the Russians kind of went, wait a minute. And they, they decided to, to retrench and not spend money. And the combination of those factors left Boston in a position where they, they just capitalized on a great situation. They got a bunch of, uh, good young players and now they're in a really good shape long term. And to your point, yeah, I mean, they're in great, they're in great position. They have the opportunity to, um, go out and sign, uh, you know, or go out and, you know, maintain their free agents. You know, guys like Terry Rogier is going to be free agent a year. Marcus yep. Smart's free agent this year. 
Um, Kyrie is a free agent next year. Horf will be a free agent next year. I mean, they're going to have decisions to make, but they have a ton of first round picks coming. They have four in next year's draft. Uh, they have, you know, they are obviously already have Tatum and Brown and, and Rogier and, and, uh, you know, these other Marcus Smart, these other young guys that they have. And, you know, coupled with the older players they have, they still have the ability to turn those into more star players. If a guy like Anthony Davis shakes free at some point, they can make a move for him. I mean, they, they have the flexibility to be both good now and in the future, which is, you know, the thing every team is looking for. And, you know, it will be fascinating to see what they do because there aren't easy decisions. And, you know, I do think they might have to decide whether or not to pay a guy like Kyrie, who's 28 and has had a bunch of injury issues. Yeah. And do you want to pay him $180 million for five years when he doesn't play defense and is an injury-prone guy who's a one-way player? I don't know. Like that, they have tough decisions to make. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're good decisions to make. And, and it's proof, you know, like you mentioned, Houston. Houston had an MVP candidate, so they went out and tried to win now with a guy who's in his prime and ready to win. Boston was in, is in a position where they can kind of be flexible and try to win for the next 10 years. You know, that, that is kind of the beauty of roster construction in the NBA or in any sport where, you know, there are different ways to, to, to slice an apple and you don't have to all do it in the same manner. And, you know, I think that the way those two teams have gone through the season in the past few seasons is proof of that, that you, you know, you don't, there isn't one path to winning and, you know, it's smart management will lead you to make, you know, good decisions and be bold at the right times and make, uh, you know, make the right plays. And both those teams would tell you they got lucky too. You yeah. know, James Harden shouldn't have been traded probably by the Thunder. And, you know, Darrow was sitting there waiting to make a trade for a star and he had the right pieces and made the right bet. And, you know, Boston put himself in a position to, to make that Nets trade. And also they tried to trade four first round picks for Justice Winslow and the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> said no. Yeah. Right. I mean, if they had said, sure, yeah, we'll make that trade, then all of a sudden you don't have at least one of Jalen Brown or one of these guys. You don't have that pick and you don't yeah. have other picks. And, um, all this stuff, all that stuff is contingent, right? So, um, you know, it isn't, there is no foolproof strategy and there is no one way to do it, but those are two teams that proved this year that they, they both certainly know what they're doing and are going to be in the mix for a very long time. All right. So one last question is, uh, you know, we're going to the finals and people are saying, well, that the Cavs pretty much have no chance. Obviously love has to get out of the concussion protocol. That would help. A sure. Lot. Uh, sure. Let's, sure. let's say that that does happen. What's the scenario that leads to the Warriors? Not winning. Is it complacency? Is it just that they kind of figure that they could turn on autopilot, they run into LeBron, it turns out no? Is that even conceivable? That like, yeah, they're complacent during the regular season, but would they even lay an egg in the finals? Uh, could it be somebody else? I mean, Corver's played brilliantly in the postseason. Could it be a third or fourth option for Cleveland that, that takes over the series in a, in a surprising way? I'm trying to conjure scenarios here where we're not watching the Warriors win it in four or five. I just don't see a scenario that that doesn't happen. I mean, barring multiple injuries to star players. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I think, you know, it, I think the Cavs would have beat the Rockets, honestly, in a series hmm. um, because wow. Houston's worn down and Chris Paul was going to be out for a while. And I think they didn't really have the guys to, to really match up with LeBron in the same way. And I, I just think that I think that LeBron would have found a way. Um, I, I just think that uh, I think Golden State has too much and, um, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a long competitive series because it'd be great for basketball if it is. Uh, I, but I just don't see it. I think Golden State, uh, just has too much, uh, for, for the, for the Cavs to go up against. You, Cavs have too many one-way players. Guys like Corver, uh, won't be able to play against the, the Warriors because they'll, they'll just destroy him defensively. Uh, Love will have trouble staying on the court even. Um, you know, guys like J.R. Smith have not been consistent enough. I mean, a guy like Jeff Green was great in game seven, but, um, you know, the difference between, say, the Celtics and the Warriors is the Warriors can play great defense and also can score better than anybody in the league. Yeah. So 
that the, the Cavs can't win an 87-79 game against Golden State. They have to win 105 to 100. And they, they're not, they're, they're not good enough defensively to do that. Um, and they're not good at, and they, they don't have the offensive players that can stay on the court against a team like the Warriors to do that. So I, my guess is LeBron gets a game in Cleveland because he is LeBron and the cat and the Warriors probably will turn off at some point. Um, but I just don't, I don't think they have the horses Cleveland to, to hang with, with Golden State, which is really just more of a credit to how unbelievable this Warriors team is that, even as great as LeBron is, you know, him alone isn't enough to take down a team with four all-star players on it. Yeah, yeah, it all makes sense. Tim Bonton, here's the deal. I'm excited for you to go to the finals and cover. We'll read you the Washington Post. And I'm more excited for the finals ending because instead of, you know, like normal colleagues are going to take a vacation. No, no, no. What you're going to do is you're going to jump full bore into League of Leagues mode. We've saved that for last. <laughs> You've got to be the fifth or sixth League of Leagues or that we've had on this podcast. Uh, and then we will make lots of fancy trades and we'll have a lot of fun doing that. But I will allow you a couple of days before I bump our trade, trade offer. I promise. Between, uh, between the draft and free agency, I'm going to be busy, but I gotta, I gotta dive into it more. You, uh, I, I, I will say this. I was, we had, we did the draft back in March yes. and I, it was my first time doing it and mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was at the NCAA tournament regional I was covering, trying to do it at the same time. And I, <laughs> I remember going back and forth in like the 35th round. This is how stupid this league is. At the end of the day. <laughs> I was going back and forth between Derek Fisher and Malik Smith in like the 35th or sixth yes. round. And I, I was like, I think I gained Malik Smith in a round. So I took Fisher as a power speed guy. You immediately <laughs> took Malik Smith. I felt like an idiot. And sure enough, he has been great and Fisher has been awful. And it's part of why my team is where it is in the baseball standings. So, uh, I, I, I'm very happy to be in the league. It's a lot of fun and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to a few more cracks at the draft in years to come when I have a better idea of what the hell is going on. But that is a, uh, it is quite the league and quite the, quite the experience to try to figure it out. So it's, it's been pretty fun. Which team got Malik Smith though? I can't remember. Well, he, I, I thought I said you drafted Malik Smith. Yes, right it after. was my team. And where am I in the standings, uh, Tim? I, oh, I have 123 <laughs> points. Who's in second? Oh, a team with 92 and a half points. Oh, I see how it is. Okay, that's. Hey, listen, you're the as as the baseball guy. This yeah, is what but you you're know what? I didn't do. win baseball the first two years of League of Leagues, and 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 not only that, not only that, because there are some characters in this league, uh, and I'll let you go because I know you got to catch a flight. But uh, the first year, the team that won baseball and went on to win it all was a team run by Brian Gowertz, who was a head writer for WWE Raw for 15 years, which is right. how The Miz ended up in our league, which is a whole ridiculous right. other story. Right. And his partner is Cousin Sal from the Jimmy Kimmel right. Show, who talks right. more shit than anybody. And he'll <laughs> still email me and say, hey, you're the baseball guy, right? What happened in the standings there? So it doesn't matter. I could win 40 years in a row. I'll never live that down. <laughs> well, I just, I'm, just hoping to, I'm just hoping to do well in basketball at the very least. So we'll see. Uh... We'll see what happens. It's a lot of fun, though. I'm glad to be part of it, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see if I can turn things around here over the second half. Tim, you're a peach and a terrific writer. Thank you for your time, and have a safe flight. Thanks, Jonah. Like I said, man, I've listened for a long time, so this is fun, and uh, look forward to catching up again soon.